0: Man, enjoyed worshiping with y'all and singing praise. Uh, Jesus is our living hope, and uh, we have so much to be thankful for. Love hearing from the Toros, and you guys are going to get blessed here in just a minute as you hear from Jonathan, but go ahead and grab a Bible. Go to Matthew 14, uh, get on our app if you'd like to follow along there, or you've got the notes in the bulletin, uh, but we are glad, glad that you're here today. Hope you're blessed, um, hope these words today as we share in Scripture Challenge you, grow you, step on whatever toe or heart that you need stepped on. And, and as we are challenged by Jesus today, may we fall more in line with him. You know, I, don't think it's, I, I think it's okay to say scripture is just a long series of different walks. It's a lot of other things, but there are a lot of journeys in scripture. Scripture begins with a walk by God in the cool of the day in the garden. Then he calls a man named Abram out of Ur, out of the land of Babel, into a new land. And Abraham walks towards the covenant. Later in his life, Abraham takes a journey with his son Isaac, and he walks to a mountain called Mount Morah or Mount Moriah. It's a mountain of provision. The word means enough. The mountain where there is enough. Moses is called to a bush in a journey through the wilderness where his life has changed. And later, he walks hundreds of thousands of people through a sea of salvation to the other side, free from bondage of slavery. There's walking all over Joseph, around Jericho, to watch in victory as the walls fall down. Then in the New Testament, there are disciples who obey the call, and they follow Jesus on dusty roads, taking a walk with him. After Jesus' death, two of those disciples are confused on the road to Emmaus as they take a walk from Jerusalem to that town, not knowing the truth of his resurrection. Paul is changed on a journey, on on a walk to Damascus. His life is turned upside down, and Jesus takes the sins of the world on a walk through Jerusalem, down a dusty road, to a hill called Golgotha. And he is crowned king of kings. But maybe the most famous of all walks, if it's not that one, maybe, and perhaps the most famous of all walks is the one that happens in Matthew 14 because it's the one that defies belief. It's the walk on water. It's Peter getting out of the boat It's an incredible and inspiring message. It seems each time we read it, we're drawn to the challenge and to its message of will you also step out? Will we get out of our proverbial comfort zones and do something that seems impossible? This morning as we continue Missions Month, we're going to not just ask you to step in, we're going to ask you to step into place as water walkers as people who hear the call and change the way that we maybe view the call and view our faith so that we can trust the one who calls us out on the water. I want to pray this morning for contact in Chile specifically, so if you'd grab a hand this morning as we pray over our missionaries and pray for our mission here in Canadian. Lord Jesus, we lay before you the mission that you've given us, Something that we struggle with sometimes. for being honest with ourselves, God, I, I know I speak for myself that I often forget that you have given me a specific mission to step into. And it's my place. It's not my part-time job. It is my job. And it's all our jobs. And so, God, with that in mind, we, we lift up before you these missionaries that we love. We love hearing from what's going on in contact and, in La Serena today. We know that you're changing lives there. We know that there's going to be people we're going to meet someday in eternity that we're going to get to connect with and they're going to say, oh, I was was touched by some of your teens when they came to contact or or, I got this hope box down at at the camp and it changed my life. And Father, we look forward to that day but God, in the meantime, we pray for an awakening of our hearts to know that we just don't throw money at mission, we are on mission. And Father, I pray that we will have that today, that we will get out of your way and we will fall in line with our mission here in Canadian as you continue to be fruitful and increase and multiply the mission in La Serena and in Tulsa this morning. Bless those two places, God. Bless the Toros, bless the Steins, and God, may we be blessed at the hearing of your word now. In the name of our Savior, we pray, amen. So as we go to Matthew 14, here's what's just happened. Jesus has just had what I would consider one of the most amazing potlucks ever. We can put on a pretty good potluck here. And every once in a while, like last week, I think it does multiply. But Jesus just did the ultimate loaves and fishes potluck. He has taken five loaves and two fish and he has fed 5,000. And he is exhausted. He's exhausted and worn out. And when Jesus is exhausted and worn out, he spends time with the Father. And as we open up in verse 22, you see Jesus taking that time dismissing the disciples and then him revealing himself to his disciples in a way that was unexpected. And I hope this morning you can read it as if you've never read it before. Here it is, Matthew 14, 22 through 33. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples after the meal was over, is what it's referring to, get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land. It's seven miles across the Sea of Galilee. So more than three, way out there, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Some say this is a storm. Now, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And Peter replied, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water Then those who were in the boat worshiped Jesus, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Now, you should have your imagination being fired up as you read this passage. You can close your eyes, and you can easily see this scene in front of us the disciples in this boat packed in there, the winds and the waves, maybe a storm, thunder, and lightning. Maybe even you picture yourself being among them and taking it all in, feeling the wind in your face, the spray of the Sea of Galilee soaking your hair and your clothes. If you dig even deeper into the imagination, you maybe can even realize the fear of the unknown. Then a figure appears out of the dark, out of the storm, out of the wind, and that figure calls out. I don't know where your imagination goes, but you try to take it all in, and maybe you see yourself on the edge of the boat, maybe wondering if you can do what Peter has just done. Maybe you're caught between hearing the voice of Jesus and the fear of doing something no person can do. This is a master story. It is as relevant today as it was for the last 2,000 years. It is a story of the disciples facing chaos, facing the tumultuous ways of this world. And we again face chaos every day. We don't have to imagine what it's like to be in instability. We don't have to imagine what it's like to feel like life is continually in a chaotic up and down. We are in a season for 24 months now of loss of uncertainty, of, certainty, of loss of hope. There's this ever-present reminder of death. So we join the disciples this morning. The ancients believed that the sea... Was the home of the dead. It's no wonder that they thought that Jesus was a ghost. That's where ghosts came from. If you've always wondered, why did they think Jesus was a ghost? Seas and bodies of water is where ghosts came from in the ancient world. So that's what they think they're facing. But as the ancients saw that and faced the chaos of that, and the disciples battled all night and were battling against the winds and the waves. We too join them in knowing that we're battling against what seems like a never-ending storm. But I want you to notice this morning just one thing. Because there's a but yet, or almost a but God in this story, because it's, according to the scripture, it is at the darkest hour, the last hour of the night. When hope seems to be lost, at the point of exhaustion, when the winds and waves were about to overwhelm the disciples, that's when the master of winds and seas appears, and his first words are, Don't be afraid. It is I. And then in the next breath that Jesus speaks, after, Jesus, after Peter says, If it is you, call me out on the water, he also has an invitation If you follow this through Scripture, this is a pattern. Almost every time that God, and it it happens when it does, there's times that it doesn't, but there is a lot of times in Scripture where an angel or God himself or Jesus says, don't be afraid, it is followed by an invitation to push your comfort zone. So he says, don't be afraid, and then Peter says, if I'm not to be afraid, if I am to be a disciple, if I can be like you, then call me Out, I'm ready to step out on the water, and Jesus invites. And what's incredible in the story is Jesus not only invites him, Peter actually does it. He gets out of the boat. He steps out on the water. I don't know what that must have been like. I wish I could describe it. It had to be unreal. But then... We're given very little detail about what the walk was like. But we are given the detail of that Peter takes his eyes off Jesus. And he sees the confusion and the chaos and the winds and the waves. And then he begins to sink and he cries out and he says, Lord, save me. And then as Jesus draws him out of the water, there's this line, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And this morning we're going to focus on that. Invitation to come, but we're also going to focus on this line by Jesus. Because typically, how we've understood this message to Peter, maybe for most of us, maybe not for all of us, but a lot of us have heard a message, or when we read this passage, we read if Peter had just had enough faith, he would have never sunk. And we read into that, and we start to believe that faith is about a measure. If I just had enough faith, I could overcome this problem in spectacular ways. If I just had more faith, I wouldn't have got that diagnosis. If I just had enough faith, I would have been, or she would have been, or they would have been healed. Or I would have been free from that hardship. Or I would have escaped that circumstance. Oh, you of little faith, why do we doubt? I don't like that message. And I don't believe that's what Jesus had in mind. I believe Jesus is teaching a faith of a different kind, and we're going to show it to you this morning. Our friend Jonathan Stein is actually going to talk a little bit about that, and he's going to use his youngest child... And a joy, and he's going to talk about a young man, another man that comes to church with him. Our teens, of course, go to contact every summer and spend a week doing camp contact, uh, living it out. It's a tough church. It's a church where you've got to walk on water in some ways in order to minister to people. Because it is chaotic and it is difficult, but Jonathan describes what kind of faith Jesus is talking about so well. Let's listen to Jonathan for a few moments.
1: Good morning, Canadian family. I'm sorry that Brittany, Laura, Anna, Joe, and I couldn't be with you today. Our hope is that we will get to make a trip out later this year. We are so thankful for the way y'all continue to support our family and the ongoing ministry of contact. And we cannot wait to have Barry bring down the teens and hopefully a bunch of you parents. Yeah, you, you, uh-huh, uh-huh. This summer for Camp Contact, there are plenty of hotels in Tulsa around where you guys would be staying, so you don't even have to sleep on an air mattress in the church gym if you don't want to. Anyway, on to the topic at hand. As I think about Peter locking eyes with Jesus and asking to come out on the water, the trust he displays and the willingness to overcome all the laws of reality he knows— I'm reminded I want to share with you a few stories. First, I want to share this thing that Anna Jo does when I'm playing with her. You're going to get to see a video of us, but this girl refuses to do anything we ever want her to do if she's on camera. What happens anytime she's not being recorded is that I'll hold her, and then I'll swing her upside down, and I'll bring her back up. And usually, if I do it two or three times, she'll look at me, and then whip her head back and try to make it happen again. She's sort of strong, so if I wasn't ready or didn't have a good grip, she would end up seriously injured. But she trusts me, and I know what she's about to do, so it always ends up okay. Here's a cute but not as relevant as I'd hoped video of us. Go! Go. Ah. <laughs> Say no. Say we're holding on tonight, aren't we? Oh. Gonna Do try doing it this way? Gonna Do try doing this instead? We go. Oh! Oh! oh, oh. Second story is about my friend Billy. If you watch the Contact live stream, especially from last year, Billy was usually reading psalms in the service. Billy's been sick a lot this year, so he hasn't been able to. Billy lives alone further out than most folks. He spent time in prison, and he'll readily admit to you that his life has a lot of mess in it. I was in the middle of a series on service last fall, and one of the points I think connected to Jesus washing his disciples' feet was that Jesus gets down and into the mess, into the nasty feet of the disciples he loves and knew would all end up betraying him, including Judas, who betrayed him to death. When the point came out that Jesus gets in the mess, Billy lit up it was like a cartoon character with a light bulb over their head. And you could just see something change in his face and his demeanor. He looked at me, and he repeated it back out loud. And, you know, we at Contact, we used to know that people respond a little more vocally in the sermon. But right there in the middle, he just said, Jesus gets into the mess. And he said it a bunch of other times since then. Because Jesus does get into the mess. And I think that was the moment when Billy really believed that Jesus sees him, Jesus loves him, and Jesus wants to use him, even in the mess he's got going on. And that wouldn't me, because the point, I didn't think it was my strongest of the points, but the Spirit moves. And the Spirit keeps moving in Billy, showing him that if he keeps his eyes on Jesus, he is enough To be what Jesus is inviting him to be. To do what Jesus is calling him to do. One last thing. I was at Harding for an internship fair a few weeks ago. And one of our former interns came and spent a little time talking with me. He interned with us in 2019. And he told me that still, almost every single week, he FaceTimes with one of the kids that he got to hang out with all summer. And he's not the only one. Another of our former interns, who's a speech pathologist now, showed up out of the blue this last Sunday and took a couple of the older teens out to breakfast and lunch. From you guys' own family, Tess and Kylie Sawyer come almost every Sunday and teach or do whatever they can to show up for the kids here at Contact. When y'all come for the summer, and when you spend time loving and running beside a kid, when you spend time playing and chasing after them, when you spend time singing with them and, and trying to get them to a t- focus, and when you spend time being no more than three feet away and having to do whatever and, and it gets stressful and it gets challenging, all of that that you're doing, it matters so much. It's not because you're doing some grand or amazing act. It's not because all of you are the best in the world at it. Believe me, I am not the best at almost anything I do. Uh, Definitely not the best at anything I do. But it matters. And all those connections matter. And all that time showing up matters because what we're all really doing together is just like Peter, we're locking eyes with Jesus and asking If we can go where he already is, he's already loving those kids, he's already trying to get into those houses, he's already serving and sharing, are we going to ask to come with him? And every time that we ask, every time that we're willing, he tells us to come. I'm going to pass it back to Jake. Thank you for wanting to follow Jesus wherever he goes. And I hope that leads you over to Tulsa here and there. I'll see you soon. Bye, Canadian family.
0: I hope you followed that because here it is. What what Jonathan's illustrating with Anna, his daughter, and also with Billy is what is so unique about Peter's step out of the boat. See, in Peter's world, a rabbi would not call you unless he believed in you. And most rabbis spent most of their days only calling the best of the best, the elite of the elite, the smartest of the smart. It's what my seventh grader always says, the goaded, the greatest of all times. Everything's goaded in my house right now. Oh, it's goaded, right? It's goaded. Parents are like, what's that mean? All the adults get it, or all the, te- all the teens get it, right? It's goaded. That's what the rabbis did, but Jesus comes along and he doesn't call the best to the best. But he still has the standard of, if I call you, you can do whatever I can do. I've even heard reports that it's so serious if you're called by a rabbi, the belief that you can be just like your rabbi. I haven't seen this, but I read it in a book one time about somebody seeing a new, a modern day Hasidic rabbi going into the bathroom at an airport and 10 of his disciples followed him into the bathroom because they do what the rabbi does. And that actually helps explain why Peter gets out of the boat. He gets out of the boat because just like a child will trust a father or a mother to roll back and know that they're going to get caught, Peter trusts that when Jesus called him to follow, that meant he could do anything the rabbi could do. He could do it all. If Jesus could do it, therefore Peter believed he could as well. Because when Jesus called, come follow me, it meant come and do as I do, including walking on the water. So Peter sinks, though. Peter takes his eyes off Jesus. Peter messes up. Peter doesn't keep walking on the water, and he sinks. He sees the chaos and the winds and the waves, and he loses faith. But I want to ask you this morning, who does he lose faith in? Well, it's easy. He lost faith in Jesus now. Nope. He lost faith in himself. How do I know that? Jesus ain't sinking, guys. (laughs) Peter's the one sinking. He sank because he forgot who the one was that gave him the ability to do it, yes. But the reason he lost faith, it wasn't, oh, you have little faith in me. It was, oh, you little faith in what I've called you to be. See, here's the point of this whole sermon. When Jesus calls us to come, Jesus calls us and he never calls us to something he doesn't believe you can do. Never. When he says to go, live on mission, he believes in you. We have a pretty low view of ourselves. But throughout scripture, it's pretty incredible how the high view of people God has. God believes in us. He partners with us. That's why he leaves earth and why he sends his spirit in Jesus' absence. I know we've all been told we need to believe in the power of Jesus, and of course we do, as you should. That is a very good thing. But maybe what we need to know this morning to be on mission is to know that Jesus believes in you. That he didn't call you to mission because he thought, eh, they'll kind of be lousy at it. He called you to change your schools and your offices and your workplaces and your friends group and for you to be an impact on the world and to reach out and to help the lost know him because he says, you know that person? I believe in him. He's called us to a purpose. To step out, to step in, to step up. And so I, I know we're out of time, way out of time and I'm, I'm sorry we started a little late and we had a lot of things going today. And so I'm going to skip the last part of what I was going to do, but I'm just going to ask you, what's Jesus calling you to? What's Jesus' call in your life? What do you need this morning to stop denying about your ability? What do you need to stop doing about saying, well, that's not for me or that's for somebody else? What do you need to do to step out and to step into place on the water with Jesus? Whatever you need this morning, we're here for you as we stand and sing.